0: So we're starting a new series, and uh, it's called Babies in Bathwater. And uh, some of you have seen the flyers that have gone around, and you saw the bathtub out there, another failed experiment of mine. <clears throat> but don't worry, I'll, I'll, I'll get it to work somehow. But uh, Babies in Bathwater, it comes from the, oh, the, the idiom from, gosh, the 1500s. Uh, when they used to give baths to people, uh, and water was uh, scarce um, or uh, hard to get, uh, in the sense of, you know, it took a lot of work to get it uh, to the bathtub because they didn't have plumbing and so they would bring the water and they'd heat it all up, put it in the bathtub and they would start with the dad, he'd get, he'd get clean first and he's usually the dirtiest because he's out working in the fields or working with his hands or something along those lines and then worked all the way down to the youngest member of the family. By the time he got down to the baby, they all used the same bath water and it was pretty dark and dirty. And so they always encourage people to be careful when they throw out the bathwater that there's not a baby inside. Okay? So don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, there's a, uh, there is a phrase that describes this whole pro- process, and it goes like this <clears throat> To discard something valuable or important while disposing of something considered worthless especially an outdated idea or form of behavior. Do you hear that? To discard something of value or of importance while disposing of something considered worthless, especially an outdated idea or form of behavior. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your spirit that guides us through <clears throat> different cultural shifts and changes, uh, including in the church. <clears throat> Excuse me. Lord, we, we pray, God, that you would open our ears so that we could hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to us as a church and us as individuals, in Jesus' name. It's interesting, when I clear my throat, I hear about 10 people in the congregation clearing their thro- throats. <clears> throat> Excuse me, <laughs> you guys, you guys are naughty, 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 naughty. So, uh, I w- my wife and I love to go sailing, and um, and when I say sailing, I mean garage sailing, because uh, we love looking for tre- treasures. <clears throat> but we and we find all kinds of treasures. I look out in the audience. I've bought a bunch of stuff from some of you, uh, including. Uh, Um, Hayden's Barbie Jeep. Tina bought that at a garage sale and we have a lot of fun with garage sales and we've had some experience having garage sales. And and the reason that you have a garage sale is because of this. Let me show you this video and I'll show you why we need garage sales. So this is a video of my garage. Okay, so this is the garage. There's a lot of stuff in this garage. There's Cameron's tires, Jude's Jeep, the chandelier that used to hang in the Sanctuary that I still have to fix for somebody. And of course the lawn tractor. And there's Tina's mom stuff that we treasure so much. And then we've got old furniture. We've got all kinds of things. Already. Ho ho hey. Of course, we got the guy. The pizza guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everybody needs one of those. And uh, so it looks like it's time for a garage sale, wouldn't you say? It's all free. Come on over after church. If you saw something you like, come give me an offer. We can find something. Tina and I had a garage sale back when we first moved to Maple Valley. And I had just gotten back from Africa a few months before that. And uh, I got these cool... Some of you have heard this story, but for, it's worth repeating. Uh, we got, I got these glass beads in Africa. They're just beautiful. And so for pennies on the dollar, I got, these, I got them from the people that make them. And they recycle glass and make these really beautiful beads. So I had these big, heavy strands of them. And um, somehow, somebody, not more than a million miles from here, put those beads into a box... Uh, that where they shouldn't have belonged. And it got put into a group of things that uh, were cheap and or free. And this lady comes to the garage sale and she's kind of an eccentric lady. And she grabs those beads and says, how much? And Tina says, two dollars. Oh, was it? Okay. Somebody else says, two dollars. Don't correct me when I'm talking, <laughs> woman. <laughs> Okay, so, all right, somebody else besides you. You just don't want the blame. I get it. Uh, so anyway, $2. Well, she thought she meant $2 for the whole bunch, and there was like probably 15, 20 strands of these heavy beads. I mean, to, just to carry them, they were super heavy. And so they were probably worth a couple hundred dollars. And so the gal comes up to me with $2, and I was like, oh, no, ma'am, I'm sorry, the, the, those aren't $2. The, the, those are $2.00. Maybe a strand, but not $2. And I looked at her, I go, $2 a strand? And it's like, no, no, we can't do that. And she says, oh, she already said $2. Here's my $2. I said, wait a minute. No, I said, it's not, it's not for sale for $2. She made a mistake. And she goes, oh, well, it's too late. I said, well, no, it's not too late. I need to have those. And and she says, well, I need to go. Here's my $2. And she throws the $2 at me. It's like, okay, game on. Here we go. <laughs> Pastor Steve is going to go into action here. Okay. And she tries to walk off. I says, ma'am, you got to stop. And I stand in front. Of her. I go, you can't have the beads for $2. And she says, I'm taking them. And I slipped my hand into the beads because she had them over her hand like that. So I slipped my hand into it. So here we are. Arm in arm. Over my dead body, are you taking these beads out of here? So I'm hanging on to these beads. She's probably watching online right now, sorry. Uh, And I'm hanging on to these beads, okay? I'm not going to let go. So my wife calls the police. And the police, I have to hang on to these. I'm hanging on. I'm not letting go now. I've, we got people gathering around. It was one of those big, huge garage sales where people from all over the world are there. you know. And so there's people coming. Our kids are selling hot dogs. And I'm like hanging on to these beads for dear life. And the cops are there. Everybody on the street knows I'm a pastor. So everybody comes walking out to look to see, what is Pastor Steve doing? Okay? So I'm hanging on to these beads. I'm not going to let go of these beads. And finally the policeman comes and he gets my beads back for me. I give her her $2 back and she goes on about her business. But what happened was those beads, for me, were super valuable. And there was no way that I wanted to throw those out. I wanted to get them to somebody that recognized the value of those. And so uh, in our desire to get rid of stuff, We actually got some stuff thrown into the free box or to the cheap box that shouldn't have got there. We're at a stage in our world right now where we are evaluating how is the church going to respond to today's culture. I mean, we've been reevaluating this for decades now. Because culture is changing faster and faster. Now, especially that we're in the information age, uh, we are moving faster and faster. So over the next few weeks, I want to look at the history of the church. I want to look at it. I want to take a look at the good, the bad, the ugly. And um, as we explore this, I think this is going to be a healthy critique of the church, which means you, because the church is made up of people. And people are the ones that determine the direction of the church. Okay, now of course, Jesus is the head of the church and and we are ultimately following Jesus. But we are the representation of Jesus on the planet. Sometimes we miss the mark on that. We miss the mark as individuals, we also missed the mark as the church. So as we do this exploration over the next few weeks, I want to take a look at the history of the church, some of the great things that the church has brought to civilization, like the, the idea of hospitals came out of the church. Okay, some of the best art has come out of the church. The best music has come out of the church. So the church has done some uh, amazing things. And I, I, as a pastor for 36 years or plus, um, I have seen some good things happen because of church. Oh, man, I've seen lives changed, my own. Nobody can tell me that the church has no value. If you're watching from home, you just happen to stumble on this program or this this live stream, um, and maybe you, you don't you don't like church, or you just don't like the people, or the gathering, or whatever the case may be. I encourage you to rethink that, and maybe this entire series will help all of us not only relook at the church and see its value, but also critique it in a way that positions us to move it forward. I believe that every single generation is responsible for moving the church forward. Right. And sometimes what happens is when we begin to be awakened that something needs to change. Something needs to be different. We've got to we got to stop doing this or we got to start doing this when that starts to stir in your spirit or stir in a group of people's spirits it's not there so that you can stand back and critique and then wait until the people respond to it. It's there inside of you so that you can help move the church forward. Right? That's what we do with people. So I I wrote this quote down because I was meditating on this is, is, that we treat people with care. We as the church, we treat people with care. We, we care enough To love them through their sin and their destructive choices. That's how much we care. But we also do the same thing with the church. Because the church is people. It's a collective of people. And Sometimes people get stuck in a rut. Sometimes people make decisions that send them on a downward spiral. And sometimes the church has done some things that has been harmful. And so we have to make corrections, mid-course corrections. So if you've ever driven a car, which I think most of you have, or ridden a bike, when you're driving, it's just a series of corrections because you're constantly doing this. You're not just holding onto the wheel tight because you're going to run into something. You're constantly adjusting as you go. This is what the church does. The church constantly is adjusting. The church is made up of people. It's not made up of Jesus only. Jesus is who we worship. We don't worship the church. We don't worship people. Okay? And people are fallible. And as long as people are in in the church, it's going to be a mess. It's always going to need some mid-course corrections. Right? Okay? So some of you that are looking for the perfect church, you know, it's not, you're not going to find it because the minute you show up there, it's no longer <laughs> perfect. Okay? So, so while we go through this, I want to pull out the good, the bad, the ugly. And, and I, I start with my own experiences. And I want to share them with you as we go through this series. And, and I think we're going to have some fun with it. You know, the transformation of lives is the thing that means the most to me. Um, I've seen so many people come off of drugs, stop suicidal thoughts, crawl out of depression. Uh, We see people getting set free. Taylor tells a story of of the, the gal that got set free after 62 years, many of which she was a Christian. And yet... She got set free because one day she came to church. She heard a message that got her into a class that set her free. The power of the church is that it facilitates experiences that transforms lives. Tina and I, our lives were transformed. Some of you know my story. I grew up in a home where there was a lot of dysfunction and I was on a very destructive path. And then when I met Jesus everything shifted and changed. Not overnight, but it began a trajectory of change for me to this day. So that when I see my high school friends and they remember me with the guy with the Afro holding all the the parties um, and doing all the kinds of things that you do back in those days, that I did back in those days, they look at me and they see what I'm doing today and they go, man, this doesn't even seem like the same guy This is not the same guy. Transformed. Transformed. How did I get transformed? I immersed myself in the church, which means that I immersed myself in Jesus. And the church showed me how to do that, how to walk that out. The scripture tells us, Paul tells us, that we are to work out our salvation. We're to work it out. What better way to work it out than in the church? where we can be mentored and encouraged and we can worship together. I mean, we were talking about this with the worship team a few Sundays ago at our 11 o'clock service. We had a breakthrough uh, in worship that was just unbelievable. And we were trying to figure out how did that happen? It's like, well, we know how it happened, but, but why that Sunday and why that service and why that song and why that experience? And what was happening was, is that people that were leading us and people that were worshiping together we're having a visitation from God. And as we entered into that and we saw that the people even on the stage were getting ministered to by the Holy Spirit, a powerful thing took place in our congregation. It was awesome. And that's where transformation takes place is when people connect with God. Now, when you're sitting in a church service and you see other people worship, it moves you. When you hear their voice, it moves you. Don't ever say that there isn't valid reasons for coming to church, right? Because it's not just about Jesus. It's about his people, his church, worshiping together, hearts beating at the same rate at the same time. It's powerful. The other thing I've seen is tremendous good that's been done. I look, I look back at when we first started this church And the experiences that we had when 9 11 happened, and we took over 350 people from different churches in this local area over to New York to help do recovery work and to feed firefighters and rescue workers, recovery workers. I saw that good because every every organization down there was sponsored by the church. It was amazing. The only one that wasn't was the Red Cross. And most of those people that we met were all Christians. It's powerful. The church has been there. You know, I I think about the Vi Maple Place and how it got started. A group of churches praying together. Now lives are being transformed. When we went down to Katrina with teams of people, the, the food... Uh, that was being served to rescue workers and firefighters and all them, recovery people. The health department came by to inspect all of our kitchens that that were down there. And they said to the gal that was running our our kitchen, they said, did you know that 87% of all of the food and recovery support services that are happening down here is coming from the churches? 87%. Who needs the church? We do. I think of the black holes I've seen people come in and the hope that they've gotten. When I think of the church, I think of, of the love and the forgiveness uh, that people have experienced. I've seen people forgive people uh, in a very unreasonable way. In other words, the person they're forgiven never should have been forgiven by the world's standards, but by the Holy Spirit's standards, they've submitted and beautiful things took place. I've seen some bad things that have happened. Over the 36 years, I've seen some bad stuff. like Some of the stuff that I've seen, some of the legalism I've seen, the judgment, the Bible shaming, the exclusion of people. We're supposed to be a place where Sinners can come and meet Jesus, and yet we regulate sometimes. And when I say we, I'm not just—I'm talking about our church specifically. I'm talking about the big C church, the church in general, the Christian church, the Catholics, the Methodists, the Protestants, the Pentecostals, the Charismatics, the, the Lutherans, right? All of the big C church, the ones that say they believe in Jesus and believe that he died and rose again, that church sometimes that legalism that comes in or that bible shaming you got to get it right or else that filtering of people out of church instead of trying to find a place for them we have a phrase that we use around here is we make room for people we're making we're looking for ways to make room not looking for ways to exclude so we're searching scriptures to find ways to include people. We're not look, searching scriptures to find ways to exclude people. There's a big difference. I've seen some bad stuff that's happened with that. And um, I've seen some ugly things. Some of, the, some of the things I saw, one church that turned into a cult that I know of, we had in a cul-de-sac of eight homes, we had four families that were divorced because of the cultic practices that were going on there. It was devastating. And that was just four out of the hundreds, if not thousands, of families that were decimated because of the practices that went on there. It's horrible. It's ugly. The sex scandals. We see it in the Catholic Church, but it's there in the Protestant Church as well. Catholic Church gets lumped into one big group, but you can't lump the Protestants into one big group because they've got all these denominations. The church is interesting. The Christian Church has got 27,000 different sects of Christianity. And so we see these scandals coming up in those 27,000. This is a critique. Something's wrong here. Something needs to be fixed. Over the years, we've seen segregation in church, segregation of races, segregations between black and white, segregation between men and women, segregation between rich and poor, segregation between old and young. We've seen it happen. It's ugly. Like if you go way back, you go back to the Crusades and some of the things that were done there, just wicked. People like to bring up those things to, to totally destroy the credibility of the church. It is part of our past and in some cases part of our current reality, but we're not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We're not going to throw the church out with the critique. I think it's very healthy, for us to examine if you look at the history of the church the thing that moves the church forward is heresy do you know that heresy scandals bad stuff what does it do it causes people to wake up it causes people to study and causes people to read the scriptures it causes people to look a little deeper Instead of just being like, you know, just a lap dog, just, just kind of, oh, where are we going to go next? You know, it's like, no, no, you need to think about this. And so when you hear heretical things, oftentimes, what a, do you know what heresy is? Because they call Jesus a heretic. What is heresy? It's when somebody steps outside the limits of orthodoxy. Jesus kind of took a giant step outside. He kept one foot in, Right? But he stepped outside of it and showed people how to look at it from a different angle. And so heresy kind of pulls people outside of the orthodoxy long enough to critique and to come up and to expand. And in some cases, you have to expand your orthodoxy, and sometimes you have to shrink it down a little bit. But heresy or scandal or problems, that's not going to hurt the church in the long run. It's going to make the church better. Why? Because we're going to make it better. Why? Because we're going to follow what the scripture says. God will make all things work together for good for those who are are called of God according to his purposes. And so that's what we are. We are the church. And so this critique is uncomfortable. Some of you are uncomfortable right now that I'm even talking this long about the bad and the ugly. It's going to get more. I'm going to do more of it in the weeks to come. Because we need to critique ourselves. If you don't critique yourself, somebody else will critique for you. If the church doesn't critique itself, the world will critique for us. And so we got to be one step ahead of the folks because we need to exp- expand. So talking about, um, well, let's go to Matthew chapter 16. And uh, this is, we read the scripture a few weeks ago, but I'm going to read it again. Because it's a very powerful Understanding of the birth of the church. And um, starting with verse 13 in Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus came to the region of Caes- uh, Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciple, who do people say the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you're blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. So in other words, what he's saying is, you didn't learn from a human. Nobody taught you this in school. Nobody, you didn't read this in the newspaper. You didn't get this off the internet. Nobody, nobody taught you this. This is something that was revealed to you by God. And that's why many of you are sitting in this room right now or watching online right now. It's because you had a period of time in your life where you had a revelation like Peter did. Yeah. That, you, that Jesus is the Son of God. Yeah. He is the Messiah. He's the one that came to redeem mankind. He was sent by God to do this work. And when you have that revelation... There is something on the inside of you that nobody can take that away from you. And that's why in the persecuted church right now, which we're going to touch on that in the weeks to come, we're going to talk about the persecuted church, why the persecuted church is growing so fast in places where they can't worship openly like this. They have to go into secret places and take one page out of the Bible and they read from it or they give everybody one scripture so that it, can, it can't be detected as a Bible. And that's going on all around the world, and it's the fastest-growing church in the world, where the persecution is. But they had a revelation, and nobody can stop them, even the laws, and even the government, and even the even the military cannot stop them, because they have a conviction that goes on the inside. I'm wondering today, do you have that same kind of conviction? Do you realize that there are some people that refuse to participate in worship? If we have to wear a mask. They refuse. Why? I don't know why. You should ask them. Why why does that have to limit you? If there's people that are worshiping God in the persecuted church in a basement where they can't lift their voice and they still worship. They still worship. Then it goes on to say this, you didn't learn this from any human being, now I say to you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock, in other words, this type of revelation, this kind of statement, this kind of conviction, I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. All the powers of hell. Now, when we talk about the powers of hell, and there's all kinds of powers of hell. A lot of people look at hell as, as only being something that happens after you die. But hell is present right now. Have you ever seen somebody down on the streets of Seattle walking around aimlessly, totally out of their mind? Don't even know where they're at? I have. Just saw it last week. It's so sad. My heart just went out. And I thought, oh my gosh, this person's not in their right mind. They're going to hurt themselves. They already have hurt themselves. And I'm looking at it and my heart is just crying out. Do you realize that the powers of hell are being inflicted on that guy? The powers of addiction, the powers of of the drugs or the mental illness or the things that are going on right there are tormenting this man. When it says the powers of hell will not stop The church. That the church will not be held back by the powers of hell. So picture big gates. Gates keep people out. And so it says that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. In other words, you can't hold us back from going in and solving problems and delivering people from hell. You can try to keep that man in that place But then I looked right down the street, there was a feeding program and a group of Christians were feeding these very same people. Not even the gates of hell, not even the destruction in Seattle, not even poop on the sidewalks is going to stop the church from reaching out and trying to to make a difference. Jesus will build his church and he's going to build you and he's going to build me and he's going to build real life church and the gates of hell will not prevail. So we're at a, position in time and if we look at history we can see that that religion and christianity has had major changes and adjustments over the last 500 or after the last 2,000 years since the birth of christ and i want to take you through a timeline and show you some things because once we look at this then we're going to we're going to start going into okay this is where we're at or this is where we've been this is where we're at and where do we want to go Okay so the next few weeks is going to be fun. We're going to we're going to construct what the church should look like to respond to some of the stuff that we see going on in our world all over the place. And we have to decide what is our role to move the church forward? What is your role as a congregation mo- member to move this church forward? What adjustments do we have to believe in the way that we think, the way that we have mission, all of the things, okay? And so we're going to do that. But in order to do that, we have to understand the time in which we're at. If you understand the times, you will know what to do. Okay, That's the sons of Issachar. David chose them as his mighty men because they were people that understood the times. They knew what to do. So I want to show you, when you see the stuff that's going on in your world, then you can finally place yourself and our church in this particular time, and you'll know what we need. We'll we'll figure out what we need to do. Okay. So, first of all, um, garage sales, rummage sales. The church has rummage sales where they examine themselves, and they throw out some of the stuff. When Tina and I uh, we merged uh, our church with Kevin and Meg's church and the two churches came together and the church that was here uh, had been here for many, many years. And so they had stuff that went way back to the 70s. They had lamps and lights and carpet and all kinds of stuff here that was ready to go. And, and uh, Kevin says, just clean house. Just do the whole thing. So we had a work party here. We had two dumpsters out there. We filled all both dumpsters And we, I mean, there was curtains that we had to throw away. There was actually curtains made out of sleeping bags that we had to throw away. There was bright orange carpet we had to throw away. We had to get rid of a lot of stuff. Downstairs, Kevin described the space downstairs. He says, he took me downstairs. He says, I just want to prepare you. There, this is a big space. This is such a big space to have to hate. And so I don't go down here. (laughs) Some of you remember that. You remember the, that that cleanup day. Uh, and and so we go we go down there, we rip up the carpet, it smells like there's milk got spilled on it, and this is bad. So we're ripping everything out. We're taking everything out. But there were some things that I felt we needed to keep for the future. And so we kept those. And we stashed them. There's some photos and some. Some documents and some blueprints and things along those lines that we want to keep. But we got rid of all the stuff that was no longer helpful so that we could add the stuff that would take us to the future. And so the church has done the same thing. So people of God, at the time when Jesus came, Jesus took the Jewish people and he moved them forward. Now, here's what he did. Uh, he came and he showed people how to, to convert their pursuit of God into pursuing love and grace. Instead of looking at people through what they've done wrong and where they have sinned and what sins have kept them out of the temple. He started looking at t- teaching people how to look at people through the eyes of forgiveness and how to bring peace into their lives. And you do that with grace. And so Jesus comes and 500 years before that, there were some events with David and that 500 year period marked this whole new transition from going from legalism to grace. And then 500 years later, there was a big meeting. And that big meeting, let's pull up this timeline. Let's go first with the first one with Jesus. Jesus brings grace through love. 500 years later, there is this big council um, it, that 500 bishops came together representing the Catholic Church around the world. Remember, uh, Christianity was all Catholic at the very beginning and because uh, it meant universal church. And uh, the Council of Chalcedon, 500 people showed up and they're debating whether or not Jesus was God or man. Was he, sent by, was he a man sent by God or was he, was he God sending himself? Okay, they had this big debate. Is, is Jesus divine? Is he part of the Godhead? Is he actually divine? So this was a big upheaval and it created quite a stir. And it, it caused people to leave the church. And, but it was hard. It was brutal. Uh, and this was a major deal. Another 500 years after, there, after that, there was a thing called the great schism. Schism. Sh- can everybody say schism? 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 The great schism. The Roman Catholics and the Eastern Orthodox, they split. They got in a fight because they were talking about unleavened. They couldn't agree on unleavened bread, Okay. Pretty good reason to get in a fight. Uh, But no, there was a lot more to that. There was language barriers. There was all kinds of theological things that they were fighting over. And there were some that were very trivial. But this is where the Roman Catholics and the Greek Orthodox and the Ethiopian Orthodox and uh, the Russian Orthodox, they separated East and West. This was a big deal. 500 years after that, Martin Luther... Came to the Catholic Church and said, look, we, we have a group of people here that have some problems. And there was a number of different things that they brought up that were really a big problem. And so one of those <clears throat> of the, the Reformation was, where does the authority lie? And they just said, okay, the Pope is no longer considered divine and neither is the church. The only thing that's divine, the only thing that we believe that comes from God is the scripture. So they called that Sola Scriptura. So the people of those days were moving the church forward. And they're saying, no, we got to step outside of this, this power thing. We got to adjust this. So they went with this thing called Sola Scriptura. So now the scripture, up until this day, 500 years later, the scripture now is our authority. Okay, not the Pope, not Pastor Steve, not the church. The scripture and scripture only. Now here's the problem. 500 years later, we come to today. And now we're in the information age where people can get information that they can't get. They couldn't get 100 years ago. They have access to Google. They have access to documents. They have access to encyclopedias. They have access to world history. They They can access things that when I first started being a pastor, if you wanted to know something about the things of God, you had to go to a pastor or you had to go to seminary. Or you had to go to a library and check, look at some books. You had to pull stuff out. You had to do research. But right now, all you have to do is say, Google, give me the Greek lexicon for the word Hades. And you can get it right there. You can look it up. You don't have to go see Pastor Steve and ask him any questions on those things. You can find it out yourself. Well, that creates quite a stir. Now people are kind of independently. And now they're getting to the place where now they're seeing this. And so this is our only authority. But people can't agree on what this says. They can't agree on what this says. And so when somebody reads scriptures, then we as, as charismatic Christians, Protestant Christians, we look at this and we read one thing and the Methodists read another thing in many cases. And so now people are even challenging that authority. They're challenging the scripture. And somebody says, well, the Bible says that I believe it. And that sells it. I said, okay, great. All the women can't talk in church then. Because the Bible says the women should stay silent in the church. Well, we're in great violation of that. And there's a reason for it. And the reason is because we're looking deeper into the scripture. and What was the original intent of God? So what is the original intent of the church? We're at this time right now, 500 years later, every 500 years, there's a giant rummage sale where we are selling off all the stuff that is no longer useful and we're going to enter into the stuff that is. And like I said earlier, we are looking at people through the eyes of, hey, it doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been or how far you've been away from God, we can show you how to get connected to the realness of God. We can do that. But guys, if we have that spirit towards other, which I think everybody here would say, it doesn't matter who's on this planet, God wants to restore them to himself. Yes. Is that true? Yes. Okay. So if we have that heart towards people, shouldn't we have that towards the church? Shouldn't we have that towards the church? We're in a 500-year period where we're starting to see a major upheaval Christianity, just like these other 500 years. These were major disruptive times, but they all resulted in the church moving forward. And we are at that time. And I believe that God is going to reveal by his spirit some things in the days to come, not in like 10 years down the road or 20 years down the road or hundred years down the road. This time, this We're in the middle of that 500-year period right now, which many think is, is the age of the Holy Spirit. 500 years ago, we reformed and took the authority off of man and put it strictly on Scripture. And now we're entering into a time where we need the Holy Spirit to guide us. I'm not saying that we dismantle this. But I'm saying that the Holy Spirit is going to have to show us how to read this. And what I mean by that, we have to read it so that we look through the eyes of Jesus and not through the eyes of legalism and not through the eyes of condemning a person, but through the eyes of saying every person needs to be connected to the realness of God. That's why we're here. So in the weeks and months to come, we're going to look some more at some historical stuff. We're going to take a look at some of the stuff that didn't work. And we're going to talk about what needs to be happening in the, if we're going to follow the original intent of Jesus for his church. Because he said, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Let me read you this last scripture as we go Hebrews chapter 10. My, it's one of my favorite verses. This is Paul talking to the Hebrews church. These are people that were uh, being literally murdered and persecuted for gathering together. And so they were running for their lives because they didn't want their families to suffer by losing their their fathers. They didn't want to go to jail. They didn't want to go to prison. They didn't want to be excommunicated from the community. Paul says this to them. These are people that had a good reason to run and hide. He says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let that sink for a second. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect meeting together as some people do but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Let us think about how we can, one translation says, provoke one another to love and to good works. Let's not quit meeting together because something happens when Christians meet together. Even during times of persecution, Paul is saying, guys, you got to meet I know it's tough. I know it's risky, but you got to meet together, and you got to encourage one another. You got to provoke one another to love and to good works. This is who we are. This is what we do, church. This is not the time for us to shrink back. This is the time for us to lean in and to engage ourselves and provoke one another to love and to good works. This is why when like I I've got my small group that we meet with our my guys. And we sit around, we, do, we, we have our activity that we do at our man cave. And we do our thing. But then when we're done, we sit down for a half hour. We go through some scriptures or we pray for each other. We, we're listening to a book right now. What are we doing? We're provoking one another. How to be more attentive to our kids, our wives, our family members, our church. We're provoking one another to love and to good works. As the church... Let's critique ourselves, but let's not throw the the baby out with the bathwater. There's something very valuable in the church, and I think the best days are ahead of us. Would you pray with me? What I'd like you to do is close your eyes. Those of you at home, please participate with us. Just close your eyes right where you're at. Take some time. Stop stirring the eggs and just turn the burner off, do the thing, and just, just look within right now. I want to take you through a little visualization. I want you to take a look at, at your church. I want you to take a look at at the condition it's in right now. What do you see? What good have you seen? What good things have you noticed What lives have you seen change, or what have you heard that's been changed in lives around you? What things have you seen happen in your small group? What things have you seen happen in your workplace because of things you heard on a Sunday morning? What friendships have you made because of church? Do you have any friends that are Christians? If so, where did you meet them? How did you get together? How did you get to really know them? Was it from being isolated or was it from being connected? I want you to visualize this. When was was the last time you had a worship experience that was amazing, where you just felt the presence of God? Oftentimes the church, isn't it? God's not limited to a church. He's not limited to a building. He can show up anywhere, but man, how he shows up at the church when people are in one accord, gathered together. As you're thinking right now, with your eyes closed, looking inside, what things do you see that your church needs? What's missing? What does it need? if if this was added or this was taken away how much better would it be what could the future look like for the church if this was shifted or changed or this revelation came or this understanding came or this activity was participated in what what needs to happen in and ask yourself what's my role is my role to help make that happen is it my role to pray is it my role to encourage is it my role to notice and to stir somebody else in this area as well my role in moving the church forward. Holy Spirit, fill every person in this room. Fill every person in this room. Fill every person in this room, in this room with vision. Fill every person watching online right now with the vision for the church. Not for what it has been, not for what it is today, but for what it can be in the future. God, give us vision. Give us hope. Give us creativity. Open up our ears and our eyes so that we can have revelation just like Simon Peter did when he said, You are the Messiah. And Jesus said, I'm going to build on that, Peter. I'm building on that revelation. Lord, give people that kind of revelation. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.